first of all, you don't have that security team behind you. You don't have that guidance. Uh, it needs, it requires a lot of self-discipline because for example, uh, whenever you need to combine certain uh, other tools to your AWS account, there's a lot of work with IAM. And IAM can get very frustrating very, very fast. And it's always very, very tempting to just say, allow all and uh, we'll deal with that later. You know, when you'll deal with it, you'll deal with it after your environment has been breached and uh, you'll have to explain that to the investors. Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. Welcome back everyone to the DevSec for Scale podcast. I'm Jeremy Hess, head of DevRel at Achilles. With me today is a good friend and really cool guy, Gil Zellner. He is a fellow DevOps Days Tel Aviv co-organizer, so it's great to have you on the show. And he's also the infrastructure lead at a company called Our One, which is a really cool AI startup tackling something called synthetic video. For all those thinking that we're talking about some sort of apocalyptic scenario here, <laughs> uh, what is synthetic video? So essentially we allow you to uh, create a video of uh, a synthetic person, or if you want, we can we uh, have a method of uh, making you a synthetic person, and then generating videos using that synthetic person. And the idea is that you humanize the internet that way. Think of it kind of the whole metaverse thing, and uh, it allows you to both inject your your being into other places more easily, and also it allows uh, some of our clients to use this for things like learning and development, where they have a presenter making a large amount of videos without the overhead costs of the studio and all those things. Got it. Got it. We'll talk a little more about that in just a minute. But before we get deeper into about you and the company and the work that you've done until now, because we're talking about the move that you've made from dealing with sort of more of a dev DevOps type of role to now really getting the DevSecOps into what you're doing because you used to work at a larger company or larger companies. And now you're working at a startup. So you found that you had to wear more hats. So in terms of the security aspect, what is like the first thing that hit you when you had to move to the smaller startup, realizing that security was more on your shoulders? No safety net. No, no safety, safety net. net, no safety net. Uh, uh, your ability to uh, to move quickly is very much related to your ability to do damage very quickly. Uh, like uh, like Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. And this is a very much the case in smaller startups. Uh, you have less people bearing more responsibility. And this means that uh, I have to think more about the security aspects, which normally I didn't really have to in my previous roles. Yeah, and it's interesting because you might think that this kind of thing could be like a one-to-one -one ratio, but it's probably more like a 0.1-to-1 ratio where any little security issue that you have can turn into a much larger problem. So you actually have to really focus, buckle down, and make sure you're kind of closing as many gaps as you can. Well, it's not so much closing the gaps, but rather not creating them to begin with. Um, the whole idea of shift left security has kind of, you know, been around for for a while, and uh, this really is the case. You, when you decide to go with an insecure way of doing something, you're essentially creating uh, tech debt just in the field of security for, for your future self. 
So if you allow yourself to uh, to take a moment and kind of uh, do all the basics, uh, most of the cases you'll you'll find that you won't have that that big of an issue later. You just have to not wing it. You need to give it proper thought, just to consider the, the security implications of whatever it is that you do. And since uh, I have the privilege of working with very talented engineers here, when you convey that message, they totally get it and they, they're totally on board and I don't see any issue with that. Great, good stuff. So let's get a little bit about you. Uh, what are you doing today? I mean, we have spoke a little about the company and what they do, but give us a little about what you're doing on a regular basis and uh, what you have been doing until now. Right, so this specific role is very, very different than what I had before. So uh, I own infrastructure for uh, for our one, which is a company, meaning you don't only own you know, like your small stack of something. When I worked at Wix, for example, I had I would own uh, you know a, a database and a logging system and Grafana, but that was that was like ninety percent of it. That's about it, you know. But now uh, I have to know a little bit about everything. I have to know about our logging and our uh, orchestration, our Kubernetes clusters, our you know, our CI pipeline, all these things. So um, people like to call these one-man show positions, but I, I think it's exactly the opposite because you find yourself having to get a lot of cooperation from pretty much everybody else to get these things working. So it's more of a... It's more of a management, but without direct reportees. You don't have a team. I don't have anybody who reports to me, but I have to convince other people to help me get the job done. No team, but, te but te teamwork. Exactly. A lot of teamwork. Yeah. That's um, yeah. Uh, and uh, what I before, uh, before hour one, I was at Wix. I worked on monitoring. For that, I was at AppsFlyer and I did a whole bunch of things in orchestration, uh, DNS, uh, configuration management, that type of thing. And one of the things that I've tried to do along my career is kind of collect all the different types of things that an operations engineer does. Kind of like Pokemon, got to catch them all. And that way, when I do get a responsibility like what I have now, I'm confident enough that I'll be able to fulfill that role. Because I've done all these things before. Yeah, absolutely. And you speak about it too. I mean, we could also get into more about your life story and all the conferences <laughs> you go and speak at and all that, but we'll have to save that for later because we have some uh, some very interesting uh, stuff to get into here. Uh, so let's go back right back into talking about security. Uh, what areas of security uh, did you actually have a chance to touch on uh, and and get your hands dirty with in your previous roles, if any? Um, at AppsFlyer, I had to deal with uh, uh, ELB issues, uh, especially a, a bit of networking, all that uh, type of stuff. I had to, uh, when you had integrations with things like Salesforce and other uh, types of tools that uh, would often have these kind of connect, uh, wait, things that you need to connect to in different ways. So that's one aspect of security. Um, when I worked at Oracle, we had things like uh, uh, things around the data security mostly because where it was a data company. Uh, I worked for Oracle Data Cloud, and we uh, uh, or now as it's called at Oracle Advertising, and uh, we had a lot of things relating to how we how we keep the data, how we move it around, 
and there's uh, this was right around the whole GDPR uh, thing, and uh, so there was a lot of work around that, which is essentially a security issue, right? So that that's uh, another example of that. Uh, so, but so so you've had so you've had the different sort of security roles in a way as part of what you did, but you obviously had it in a different style, right? You had it with sort of teams of security engineers as well behind you uh, being given, I assume, I mean, assuming with larger organizations, you have more uh, details given to you about when you're creating whatever feature or whatever you're building that you need to put X, Y, and Z into it. And if you're next sprint, you need to put in, you know, make sure that these features are, you know, these security patches are, are added and things like that. So why is it a different sort of ball game when we're talking about moving into this startup mindset of, you know, your own security? Because first of all, you don't have that security team behind you. You don't have that guidance. Uh, it needs, it requires a lot of self-discipline because for example, uh, whenever you need to combine certain uh, other tools to your AWS account, there's a lot of work with IAM and IAM can get very frustrating, very, very fast. And it's always very, very tempting to just say, allow all, and uh, we'll deal with that later. You know, when you'll deal with it, you'll deal with it after your environment has been breached, and uh, you'll have to explain that to the investors. So that is not, it requires a lot of, uh, a lot of um, self-discipline, and, and because you're, you're managing yourself and pretty much everything else that you do, uh, it means that you need to be very good at limiting yourself and not letting yourself do stupid things in production. Or in dev environments, which <laughs> as well. also, as also well. dev environments have, have their own issues uh, oh, on, top of, on top of others. But uh, so what are, let's say, some of the actual technologies that you're implementing or using sort of in a security capacity? Um, and, and what have you learned as you've been doing these things, you know, some concrete examples if you have. So, uh, hmm. examples of, so we, uh, we use Auth0 for, uh, for user management. Sorry. And uh, another, and uh, I had to learn how that works. Uh, I had to learn how social logins work, uh, what works, what, uh, what, so for example, uh, there was a thing with LinkedIn login that I had to understand, I had to learn how um, how the tokens were passed and all these type of things, which are just things that I haven't done before, um, which is uh, which was nice. I had to learn uh, there was that. Um, I think we we talked about some other things. Um, so just working with, like, in terms of uh, dealing with issues around like SSH keys. Uh, you know, making sure that all SAML logins and things like that. Uh, as as much as possible, right? So so, yeah, SAML login. So I had to. Uh, the thing is that all these things are kind of already there, right? You don't you don't have to build almost anything yourself, but you have to know that you need to use it, which uh, which is a problem in its own. There's a lot of uh, work around best practices, and you kind of find yourself googling a lot more. But here, but here's the thing, you. Uh, you, the the speed in which you go from finding something on Google to implementing it in your own environment is so high that you at some point just kind of ask yourself, is this 
really right what I'm doing. There's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of imposter syndrome here because you you essentially you kind of, you kind of estimate thing. You know, yeah, I think Sam login makes sense, but I just learned about it 15 minutes ago. Is this really a good idea? And uh, uh, same thing with a lot of uh, things in DNS, which I didn't know that I that I had to do before, and now suddenly, yeah, I need like all these uh, email records and all these uh, type of things, and th th these were all kind of new to me, um, and not because they're difficult or complex anyway, but just because I'd never had to deal with that before, um, and that is. Uh, that is something that happens in these types of roles because you're a catch-all for everything that has to do with infrastructure. Then you're a catch-all for everything that has to do with infrastructure. Absolutely. And security is a big part of that. It is a huge part. So what are, let's say, some of the other new things you were introduced to as sort of things that you never really had to deal with before? I think we, when we talked earlier, you mentioned something about um, having to deal with bug bounties all of a sudden. Oh right, so uh, uh, so on my first uh, weekend, I get an email. It says uh, some guy found a security issue in our site. I think we should deal with it. And I just got the email with him. So what do we do? And I got that look that says you figure it out. Uh, which is you know that's a good thing. This is why I came to this role. I want to be the person who has to figure out all the problems. Uh, so. Uh, uh, I did some research and I saw what kind of bug bounties were available. What was the normal type of uh, response that people who do this would like to accept? I checked this with friends who are white hat hackers. Uh, fortunately, I've had the privilege of working with a few of those guys. Uh, they are uh, they are very very bright and also very very scary. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, so they uh, so we we established a bug bounty program. We don't you know we don't give an exorbitant amounts of money like uh, Facebook or Google does, but uh, we do give a small token of our appreciation. And people have been really nice about it. And we even had like a, a repeat uh, send afterwards, like a person who got uh, got paid, and then like he found more stuff and just sent it to us, and he didn't give it to you know any malicious actors, which means that you know it's working. Great. Yeah, definitely new new roles that you have to sort of see yourself in because there just isn't necessarily anyone to be taking, you know, taking ownership of it. So it's always good. It's always good to know that you're, you know, learning another piece of, of the puzzle when it comes to the security uh, of your company. So Gil, tell me in your organization, you know, what, what do you see as sort of that shift left trend and dealing with that from, uh, you know, a team level without having sort of that security layer uh, involved? We have to. It's a necessity. We, we, we literally can't do anything any other way because, uh, because we don't have a security team. It means that uh, everything will eventually come down to the same engineering people who, who do these things. So we will always, since, since it's the same work getting done by the same people, we have to start earlier because we don't want to redo our work later. That we don't want to do like the, the after work. If you've seen, um, we call the House of uh, House of Lies. If you remember that show, that was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
we want to avoid the after work. We want to avoid like coming back to fix security issues. What we want to do is do things right the first time. And this, this essentially means shifting as many things left as we can. Um, so we do things like uh, discuss this, discuss the security when we're doing the feature, when we, when we're designing the feature, when we're, um, and, and we don't like in every change that we want to make, we have to uh, consider security implications before we, we kind of test these things out. Got it. And where do you go in terms of uh, when you have to now implement, you know, or ship your, your code now, um, who's sort of, you know, who, who's there throughout that process, double checking that things were implemented properly from a security perspective? Um, it's conveyed to the senior engineers on the team. Uh, they're aware of this. They're aware that it's important. And it's their job when they review the code to also take that aspect into consideration. I don't think that it's uh, I don't think that it's any different from any other consideration that we have. You know, today uh, most engineers uh, also consider performance because they want things to be fast, but they also consider uh, the footprint of uh, of their systems because we want to keep our costs uh, down. So we're considering so many things when we we're trying to practice good engineering. It's, this is just yet another consideration. It's not any it's not any different, and I think the 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 trend is also in that direction. We see a lot of tools that allow engineers to see these things early, to see packages early. Um, when we use certain uh, uh, deprecated features, we get those warnings. We get those warnings that something is no longer secure. Um, and most tools give you that as well. For example, uh, when you develop social login on Auth0 and you use uh, dev API keys, then it will alert you and it won't let you do that in production. Uh, which is a good thing. Uh, and this allows you to catch these things early on. What are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of, you mentioned uh, API keys. What are some of the things that you noticed or that sort of shifted your mindset in terms of you know, application security and application access in terms of sort of like the, the secret management areas, the access areas, things like that? Things have become way, way easier now. So for example, uh, you see a lot of integrations that work really, really well with the AWS uh, uh, key uh, secret manager. Um, it's much easier to do least privilege now. Uh, you can see uh, assumed roles pretty much showing up everywhere. You can see things like um, uh, you, you, you don't have that situation anymore where there's like all the all the environment variables that have all the secrets on them on the one single Linux machine that everyone can access no matter what container they're running. Um, doing all these things on Kubernetes has become way easier. We've had a lot of help, by the way, from uh, TerraSky who, are our, uh, who help us with our uh, AWS issues. And uh, they've done uh, really good work. This was done, by the way, before I joined the company. Um, they've done really good work on our Kubernetes clusters and making things very easy to automate. Uh, and um, we're very thankful for that. What are some of like the, uh, the hardening uh, solutions that, that you've seen being implemented as, uh, as you're growing uh, the, the, from the infrastructure side? Um, we, we try to use, uh, first of all, AAM roles for pretty much everything. 
Uh, we try to avoid the actual secrets moving around. And when you and you can, of course, separate uh, keys and separate uh, secrets based on the role, specific roles that you have. And uh, that in itself is actually a, a very good solution for a whole plethora of problems. Of course, nothing is bulletproof. And I'm certain that there's probably already somebody who hacked that in one way or another. But for for what we need right now, that is more than enough. And things like uh, the the right sort of machines that are being spun up, uh, operating system wise, things like that. Uh, the operating systems themselves have become sort of uh, invisible to you once where you're running on top of Kubernetes. So you're kind of like, yeah, I, I run it on the cluster and I don't really, I try not to do anything that is node type specific. Uh, there are new things uh, that, uh, that I came across though. Like for example, uh, there uh, with uh, because we use GPUs for rendering, so there's a whole uh, there's there's a whole new uh, type of attack vector here, and uh, I had to learn a little bit about that. Though I'm I'm probably not the right person to talk about uh, those type of issues yet. Yet. Well, give us a preview. What what uh, what does it look like, sort of in terms of so. Uh, for example, uh, it's not actually this is not a much so much a security story, but rather something that's um, uh, the, uh, debugging a production case. So it is very rare to see uh, actual seg faults in in production. So uh, I've been I've been in ops since what like 2010 in one in one way or another, and. I've never seen a seg fault in production until two months ago, <laughs> and uh, it, and you it's very rare to see the and because it's so rare to see these things. You're like, okay, how why how did this happen? I only saw these things before, you know, in operating systems courses and stuff like that. And then suddenly, uh, uh, I noticed this is, was coming from uh, from our GPU because you're not and. and and it was just so such a surprise for for me, like that you actually have to deal with these type of things. So, in terms of uh, how would this show up, um, this has to do with drivers, and apparently you have to install your own drivers on the machines when you deploy them. And I just uh, used something default, and it stopped working because it needed an update. And AWS probably made it an update or, uh, on their side or in one way or another. And uh, that's just a new thing that I had to learn. That is really interesting. So getting into the last question, which I ask all of my guests, can you give us one or two ways that devs like yourself uh, can implement security practices or hopefully best practices into their daily routines without taking too much time from you know their regular work? Least privilege all the things. Just... Uh, and do it from day one. So, for example, if uh, if you're developing a feature that has to access, uh, as, like for example, Elasticsearch or something like that, then start out by crafting uh, the connector that you have in the way that you would use it in production. Meaning, don't uh, don't use that dev cluster that has open access, but make sure that you lock it down like production and that way when you move that feature to production all you do has you all you have to do is replace credentials 
so th that's just one example. Um, another is that uh, set up things, set up automation to remind you of things that you need to update. So a lot of the recent, uh, uh, a lot of the recent hacks had to do with systems that just weren't updated. You know, uh, if you don't update your software, it doesn't matter that it was patched. So give yourself reminders or set up automations. For example, one thing that I do is just follow the Twitter accounts for uh, for software for certain uh, software that I use. And then I know that yeah, oh, there's a new version. I should probably update to that. And if you set up your uh, if you use GitOps in a simple and easy way, and it you, it should be relatively easy to upgrade and move these things around. Fantastic, Gil. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, I hope that we can have a follow-up. Uh, maybe we can get more into a bit about the talks that you do, how you prepare for them. We could do like a potential CFP episode. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's great to have you on the show. And I look forward to the next one. And uh, keep up the great work. And uh, Thank to, you for having me. Yeah, it was great. And to all the listeners, stay secure. And uh, have a good one. <laughs>